This episode of On Comedy Writing is brought to you by HBO on Amazon. That's right, I said HBO on Amazon. Two of your favorite companies are teaming up to give you a deal. Just like Peanut Butter and Jelly, Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen, or Steve Johnson and Shab Krish. Those are my parents. They have HBO Go, but if you don't, what are you doing? An HBO subscription includes instant streaming of unlimited access to addictive dramas, hilarious comedies, movies, no adjective there, and so much more. Fans of this show will love watching Veep, Silicon Valley, Mr. Show, a bunch of great stand specials, and you know what? I think you'll like the dramas too. You, get, you can get your free seven-day trial for HBO by going to boardwalkaudio.com slash Amazon HBO. After the trial, you get unlimited access to anything on HBO for just $14.99 a month. $14.99 a month. That's a good deal for HBO. That's like one one night of not eating Postmates. Just don't eat Postmates one night, you freaking loser. Just, just get HBO instead. Once again, get your seven-day free trial for HBO by going to boardwalkaudio.com slash Amazon HBO. It's not TV, it's HBO, which is brought to you by Amazon. This is a Boardwalk Audio podcast. On comedy writing, on comedy writing. Thanks for downloading this episode of On Comedy Writing, the podcast about the business and craft of writing comedy. I'm your host, Alan Johnson. We've got a great episode, but first, the best way to support this show is by going to boardwalkaudio.com slash oncomedywriting. Click the Support Our Artist button, shop on Amazon like you normally would, and I get a little kickback. Our guest this week is Jeff Loveness from Jimmy Kimmel Live, The Onion, Marvel Comics, and the new Simon Rich show, Miracle Workers. Jeff's got some really interesting stories about getting hired for The Onion and for Kimmel. He's also a big Marvel Comics writer, so if you're a fan of comics, he's got some insight on that process. If you like this episode, I recommend checking out the one we did with another Kimmel writer, Jack Allison. Or if you're into comics, check out the episode we did with Jeffrey Golden and Amanda Meadows from The Devastator. So here is Jeff Loveness. Uh, Jeff, thanks for coming on the show. You got it, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, where are you from originally? I am from a super small town in like northeast California uh, called Montgomery Creek. It's got like, okay. I think 200 people. It might have dropped or maybe, I don't know. I got oh, wow. to check the census information. <laughs> but it's like one of those towns off the highway, you know, that you just drive by. Right. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a nuts place. It's it's weird. What was it? What was it? So it was like two hundred people. Yeah, I mean, and wow. you barely know them. Like, it's not like the. It's not like a little tiny like Norman Rockwelly town. Like, it's like just off like splinters of like meth addicts and like people with gambling problems like off the highway and stuff and like cattle ranchers and it was the more but like as I'm away from it the more I've come to appreciate it because like you know when you're a kid you just want to get out of there mm-hmm. but uh, like we had. Like, it was actually a pretty diverse town for being, like, a town of 200 people. Because, like, in Northern California, and I'd assume, like, Southern Oregon, you get, like, the most conservative people mixed with the most, like, liberal people. Like, oh, yeah. And they're I, both, yeah. like, freaks who had to, like, flee cities. <laughs> like, like, you've got cattle ranchers and, like, Trump signs everywhere. But then you'll have, like people who are so like hippie and liberal they believed in like crystal spirits underneath like the mount shasta like the, the mountain that was next to me like really like so new age and so like hippie that they were it was like hardcore religious <laughs> like, it was a very odd like convergence of both extremes where, where did your family fall on that line they'd be on the on the hardcore like conservative like yeah. christian uh i mean they vote they all i'm the only one in my family who did not vote for trump <laughs> so, yeah like, yeah they're very much on like the far right side of things my my sister and I voted for Hillary, and then my parents voted for Trump. So. Sure, yeah. Where, yeah. where are you from? Uh, Texas. Oh, okay. Where about? Yeah, uh, Dallas. My, my brother lives in Dallas now. Oh, so, cool. So, yeah, he's he's at home. Yeah, <laughs> in, yeah. In, in <laughs> uh, did, did you, uh, were you, like, interested in comedy at a young age? Um... Kind of like I think like my I mean that was kind of my escape for a long time. Yeah. I mean my my parents are great people. Like mm-hmm. I there's no like traumatic thing there. But yeah. uh, like yeah, like I grew up super religious and like wasn't sure how I felt about all that stuff growing up. And so comedy was kind of a way of getting around it or like exploring themes and stuff. And like I I, I mean The Simpsons. My, my neighbors. I always tell this story. Like my neighbors had a VHS copy of The Simpsons, and I was not allowed to watch that show. 
And I remember I was just at their house and they pumped it into like their little like mini TV VCR combo. And I just remember thinking it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. <laughs> it was the episode Bart gets hit by a car. <laughs> I did a oh, whole, yeah, I yeah. did a whole podcast episode about Bart gets hit by a car. Like it was such a such a watershed moment for my life, really. Yeah. But that was kind of when I started getting into the comedy. Then like my neighbors also had like an SNL tape that was the best of Steve Martin. Mm. I stole that. It's in my room right now, like in my apartment. <laughs> So yeah, like I, I mean, my neighbors were like my only friends up there, and they really kind of opened me up to comedy, and that was a that is kind of where I got into it, I guess. Yeah, did you uh, were you like doing any comedy stuff like in middle school or high school at all? Kind of. My brother and I used to make a ton of home movies. Uh, they, they were more like action movies. We made we made like James Bond stuff. Okay, <laughs> it's very weird. Like looking back, like. I think if we would have made those movies now, like we people would have thought we were like troubled children. Because <laughs> like, we had one where like we did like we used the school. You know, it's a small town; no one cares. Like mm-hmm. we used the school as like you know like a Russian base or whatever, and like we had all these like toy guns, and we were like quite literally like shooting up the school. Like, <laughs> oh, gosh. I mean, like it was a movie. Like there wasn't any yeah. like you know school shooter stuff, but like it was a Russian base. <laughs> but, but still, like looking back, I'm like, oh man, this would not have flown back then. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, but then like my neighbors, my, my good friends, uh, we started making like comedy short films oh, cool. in high school. Yeah, you know, just like weird stuff messing around. Like, I mean, we were directly influenced by, uh, I mean, like Lonely Island. Like we were watching their stuff before they were on SNL and YouTube stuff. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh man, like, when they made it to SNL, it was a tremendous moment. Like, I did not know you could do that. I didn't know that, like, normal people, like, normal friends making stuff with their friends could go to SNL. That was the craziest thing I'd ever seen. Yeah. And that was something that I always kind of kept in my head because I I got my first comedy job, like, through YouTube and all that. So, like, that, I mean, that that, that really opened up another gateway into maybe seen as, like, a professional goal. Yeah, yeah. I remember when, um... When Good Neighbor made it to SNL, and that was mm-hmm. kind of the same thing I thought. Because I remember watching those guys when I was, like, in, like, freshman year of high school. And yeah. all of a sudden, they're, like, uh, big uh, SNL guys. Oh, it's it's been so great to see that kind of become the norm now. It's, yeah, yeah. it's fantastic. Like, I mean, anyone from, I mean, like, Issa Rae, uh, who yeah. her, her YouTube series, Broad City, whatever. Like, I think Brown Girls is coming out on HBO, which was a web series. Oh, like, okay. It's crazy, and it's, it's very well-deserved. Like, I am I, I love that. People who are making their own stuff can finally kind of transfer that uh, into a professional setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, where did you go to college? I went down here. Uh, uh, Pepperdine? You know where Pepperdine is? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, so look, that got me down to Los Angeles, or the area. Um, kind of a weird school, but uh, I made good friends there. And, like, <laughs> why, I, why do you say it's a weird school? No, it's very religious. Like, there's no... Oh, yeah, like, I've so heard that. I, I, Yeah, I feel I did not have, like, a, uh, like a, an opening uh, college experience. <laughs> like, there's no alcohol allowed on campus. It's a very, uh-huh. like, dry campus, a lot of rules. Uh, very nice people, but, like, kind yeah. of a... Kind of like a, a, a sheltered campus, I guess. And yeah. So like it was, it was kind of like, it wasn't like the you know the, the 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 textbook college experience you would maybe expect. But right. I'm also like a very insular like you know uh, insular like hermit man myself. So like <laughs> it really just allowed me to watch a ton of movies, and I made a lot of comedy shorts like for the sketch com- sketch comedy show. I did a lot of improv, you know, like that kind of stuff. Oh, so you're doing uh, sketch comedy and improv in yeah, high school? Yeah, that was probably out of everything. Uh, the the sketch comedy show at my college, like TV, you know, like the, the student TV channel. That was the thing more than anything else that like made me take it seriously. And like I had, you know, I had to make two sketches a month, if not four, and uh, that really like just made me hammer it out and really like. I hate the term finding your voice or whatever, but like that, that, that was, I look back, that was probably the most fun I ever had. Yeah. yeah. I, I loved it. And, um, what, like the sketch that I made there, uh, got attention. And that's what, like, basically, like, long story short, led to me getting like a job at Kimmel. Uh, oh, yeah. like a sketch I made in college, like a short film. <laughs> it was crazy. Oh, wow. Uh, so when you're doing like sketches, would they be like aired on the on the campus television? Yeah, I don't think anyone even saw them on yeah. like, TV. I mean, but I, I then I mean, just because I loved Good Neighbor or not, it was, I, no, I guess Good Neighbor was around when I was in college. Uh, but like, I just followed the example that I saw from Lonely Island and Good Neighbor, and then like what I was doing with my friends in high school. Like, for every sketch, I would just put it online and try to bump it out that way. And then yeah. I would try to maybe like gear it towards a demographic that I knew might be online or might like it. So I made like a, a short film with my friends 
uh, called Wes Anderson Spider Man. Oh, which right. is Yeah, like you know, like <laughs> there's a lot of Wes Anderson parodies now, but I'm very proud of that <laughs> that one from uh, that's like seven years ago. Jeez. Oh wow. Um, yeah, we made it seven years ago. But I knew like that if I could. You know, there's a lot of, like, film fans on the internet, and there's a lot of Spider-Man fans, you know, comic book movies, whatever. Like, uh, and I was a diehard... I am a diehard comic book fan. So, like, I tried to, like, pump that out to as many, like, blogs or fan things that, you know, or Twitter or whatever. And, like, eventually that kind of caught some steam. And that was, like, my first experience with something that was, like, you know... It, I hate the word viral, but I guess kind of viral. Yeah. And, like, that that was, like, the first, I felt, like, successful sketch I ever made. I made, like, 40 others for the campus show, but that was, like, the one where I feel like it, it, it finally clicked. Right. So, so you made that you made that for college? Because it looks really good. Oh, it's, right. And it's, like... Well, I owe that all to, um, I think I, we borrowed a camera from a guy named J.J. Starr, who made a lot of... <laughs> I don't know, he has a great name. He was, like, a documentary. He was, like... The hot shit of campus. He made a lot of, like, documentaries. He would go to, like, Honduras and, like, shoot, like... He would, like, rack focus on, like, star- oh, yeah. <laughs> like starving kids. It was very, like, very harrowing footage. But he had great lenses and he had a great camera. <laughs> and, like, I remember he had a dolly, like, one of those... For, like, Wes Anderson tracking shots. And so we, we borrowed that from him. It was very kind of him. Uh, my good friend, my, who I still live with, Kyle Health, he would do the camera work for it. Uh, Conrad Flynn is the guy who did like an amazing Owen Wilson impression. <laughs> like he, oh, yeah. he, yeah, they, I mean, I did very, I mean, I, as far as acting, I didn't do that much. I was like mm-hmm. a blank, you know, I was like a blank page, but everyone else was amazing in that. And, uh, it was just, it was, yeah, I, I loved making it. I loved writing it. Like I, but I, I look back on those days with a lot of, uh, a lot of nostalgia. It was just fun to make stuff with your friends, you know? Yeah. Well, I was still kind of trying to process that you made that in college. Cause mm-hmm. like, I know. I just graduated college last year. Oh, congrats! And um, uh, all the stuff that people would make and that you'd see would not be good. <laughs> well, I've got a ton of that. I yeah. mean, if anyone like YouTube's me or whatever, like, I got a ton of bad stuff as well. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, it just we we just had a we we were all just losers. So we all just made stuff all the time. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and uh, I'd like to get back into that if I have a bit more free time coming up. Yeah. Yeah. So after college, mm-hmm. uh, what you're like? So you're just living in Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, what, what are you doing? I got, <laughs> I got very lucky. Uh, I mean, not lucky and then not lucky for a bit. Like I graduated early uh, out of college because I uh, college is expensive, <laughs> and uh, I was trying to save as much as I could, and so I kind of consolidated all my classes together in that last semester. And so I graduated like before all my friends, and then I know where to live. Uh, so I was like couch surfing for a while, for a long time, <laughs> for like eight months, nine months. Oh wow! Yeah, like I was living uh, with like the parents of friends who were around LA. I was staying with my friends who had maybe an apartment and a couch. I stayed in the dorm of, my, of a friend who was still in college, like illegally. I had to pretend that I was still a student there. Yeah. So, I it was looking back like that was it was a that was a rough time. Um, I was doing auditions. I was trying to write as much as I could. Uh, I had gotten a job at the Onion as like a contributor okay. um, when I was a junior. So I was still doing that for a little bit of money, but not not a lot. I was doing some contributing work for Crack.com. They mm-hmm. would they would pay for a couple videos, so that was that was cool. Uh, and then how, how did you get the uh, Onion gig? Onion gig. I this is one. Of, I've had a lot of lucky, like fortuitous things happen to me. I had a terrible internship at a at, you know like a studio lot, like you know just a college internship. Yeah. They'll, you know they'll they'll toss you something. Um, and I really like was depressed, and and which is a common theme <laughs> with me. Uh, but I, I was just disheartened, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was reading a lot of scripts. I re- I remember I worked really hard on a Thirty Rock spec script because um, I wanted to get into this program called like Writers on the Verge. Oh which yeah, which is like an that, NBC yeah. program. Yeah, great program. Mm-hmm. I, n- I never got in, <laughs> but uh, uh, I remember I asked the producers there who I interned for all summer if they would maybe read my sample and give notes, you know, feedback on it. And they're like, oh, sure, you know, pass it over. And I remember the walls were very thin in that office. And I heard them just kind of like making, you know, like snide remarks or like, you know, oh, kind of. Oh, man. Yeah. Like That's nothing, the worst. Nothing like, you know, crushing, but just very like, oh, well, okay, we'll get around to it. You know, just a very, you know, enough uh-huh. to make you feel terrible. Yeah. And every lunch break, I would go and read The Onion because I just thought it was the funniest thing in the world and just the gold standard for like mean, cutting, like necessary comedy. 
and I remember I was it was that day and I just remember feeling so terrible and like I found at the bottom of the onion page there was some contact email I forget if they even have it anymore or whatever like I remember I wrote up a dumb article and I sent it in which you know no one they, they, they never take that stuff they don't take unsolicited material I got an email back like an automated response you know saying basically that and I don't know what happened like maybe someone read it I have no idea like uh, I think a couple days later like I got uh, an email saying like we're actually hiring like contributors right now send back uh, like 10 more pitches next week because I was just lucky enough to be like getting their attention during like a, a hiring period. And so I did that. And like a month later, I got the email that like, you know, you get hired as like a contributor, which means you basically just send like 25 pitches a, month, a week, I think. Uh, and it's how a lot of people start. And there's a lot of, I mean, you know, like the onion's the best. Like there's just a lot of talented people there. And I, I felt like the absolute worst one in that <laughs> ring. But uh, yeah, that was, that's how I got started there. Very lucky. But that was like the, that was probably. More so than anything, the moment where I'm like, oh, man, like if the Onion can hire me, maybe I should really try this out. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. my goal, like I was going to be a high school history teacher. That was my, like, oh, wow. okay. that was my major. I love history and I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm, I, I, my plan was to be a teacher, like a very sad high school teacher. <laughs> and uh, But I'm like, well, maybe I can give this a try for a couple years to see if I can like stick somewhere. Yeah. Uh, but then, yeah, I went after school. Sorry, this is a very meandering uh, uh, story. After school, uh, so Kimmel, okay, yeah, so when I made that Wes Anderson Spider-Man video, uh, it got some attention, some people contacted me. One of them was like a field producer over at Jimmy Kimmel Live, which just blew my mind. I had no idea what that was about. And they wanted to meet, um, you know, the director of the, of the piece, which was me. And so I went in there, and uh, they were like shocked, you know, like they didn't know that I was, was I 20? I think I was 20, or 19 or 20 when I made it. And uh, they, you know, they were like thinking of giving me like a directing job, and they're like, "Oh wait, no, this kid's like twenty. Like, what, what the <laughs> hell?" Like, and so I, like, could see that they were confused, and I, like, you know, I, I got an internship out of it. Basically, I was able mm-hmm. to like salvage an internship, and uh, I was an intern there for like a long summer. Wow! So they brought you in to like yeah. hire you as a director, or like you know, yeah, some sort of maybe like relationship. And th- yeah, they did not know I was twenty. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, oh, we can't give you this no. job. I met like the executive producers. Like it was like a whole. Is it going to job interview? And they're like, oh wait, no, this is not. <laughs> and so I, yeah, then I, I got an internship and uh, I kept making videos and, and and I got to meet Jimmy during that in, in, uh, internship. He was super nice and like very supportive and gave me his email. Like uh, that was that was just a huge thing. Um, and and then like maybe um, like a year later, after all that. Um, they, I, I just kind of would check in every couple of months, you know, kind of annoy them or give them a bad update about, you know, whatever onion stuff I was doing. <laughs> like, they didn't care. But uh, nice enough, like, they said, actually, we're hiring, like, someone right now. You know, like, can you submit, like, you know, a, a joke packet? And they gave me a shot. Uh, and I was there for six years. Wow. I, I just left. Yeah, it was like, I, I think it's actually literally a month. A month ago, I left the show. So it's crazy. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, all right, so going back to the onion. Yeah, please. Uh so when you were a contributor, so you were uh, submitting 25 headlines a month? Yeah, yeah. But The Onion, uh, I mean, it was a while ago, so my my, my numbers might be fuzzy. But mm-hmm. like every week, yeah, you, you submit like – anyway, it was like 15 or 25. I think it was, okay. I think it was 25 like – and it was I was for the video side. So it was like mm-hmm. um, just sketch ideas basically, you know, like Onion field pieces. Yeah, yeah. Or like new – at the time, they had a lot of shows like Today Now – and uh, you know, like the, their political roundtable show, their, stuff like that. Um, and so that was kind of my first t- uh, exposure of just like cranking stuff out. And then they had two TV shows on IFC and, and Comedy Central, and I was a contributor for that as well. That was a lot of fun. It felt like you're a real, you know, like TV writer. Even yeah. though I did barely anything, I had like maybe th- you know two or three ideas on the air. But uh, that was so much fun. And I was, just, again, just a contributor. But that, that really, like, was inspiring to me and really encouraged me. Um, yeah. That was my first, that was my first like, paid comedy job. Yeah. When, when you were uh, coming up with uh, headlines, mm-hmm. what, what, what would be, like, your process for doing that? 
That is still one of the hardest things. I remember just like staying up till 4 a.m. the day of, when they were due. Like I, I really like looking back. I'm a very lazy man, <laughs> but I was just so terrified of like failing the onion that I, I really worked hard on those. Um, I don't know if I succeeded or not, but like I would try with the onion. What's like the truest thing you can say? I think that, w- and then you go backwards from there. Mm. Like then you kind of find it. Like what is the saddest, truest, meanest thing you can say? But is like. But has a point of view, I guess. Um, that was maybe what I was trying to figure out. Like, I remember my first idea that I ever sold. Um, it was like right after Michael Jackson died. So this is like what 2010 or so, or yeah, 2009. Nine, yeah, yeah, it's 2009. That's right. And like, I remember I just thought like, man, like, when's the last time anyone? And this is like a mean, you know, this is too mean. Like the onion. Like I always feel like you start super mean and then yeah. you kind of <laughs> go back. Like it's like, well, are we? Like I feel like. No one's really listened to Michael Jackson in a while. Now we're just kind of doing this sort of like uh, out of obligation, making ourselves to see like who's sadder mm. than the other person. You know, like yeah. anyway, like a famous person dies, you suddenly throw yourself into like the fandom again. Yeah. And so I did a thing. It was like nation anxiously awaits the death of Paul McCartney or something okay. like that. Like <laughs> Beatles fans like anxiously await the death of Paul McCartney. And like the joke behind that was like, you know, like we're not. No one's like cranking out the new Paul McCartney stuff. But like yeah. when that guy dies, we are going to just like play the shit out of Blackbird. We are gonna just like go <laughs> all in, and yeah. like we're gonna feel so good about how sad we feel. And that like I, I hate everything I write, but looking back, like as a 19 year old kid, I'm like, I like that was a good one. Like I'm glad I did that. Yeah, one. that's a really good Onion one. Yeah, yeah like, and like I don't know if I ever nailed it after that, but like that was my only. I'm like, yeah, that one felt good. Like that was like I yeah. felt like I, I said like a true thing. It's funny, I don't know why, this is totally off topic, but with the Michael Jackson thing, mm-hmm. I was in, on a trip in China, mm-hmm. and our teacher was like, everyone get on the bus, I have like important news to tell. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh god, what is this going to be? Michael, and he's like, the, Michael Jackson has died. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. The king of pop is no longer <laughs> <Yeah>. with us. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a huge deal. It was a big stuff, deal. But like, it, yeah, I, I, I think like, and especially now with Twitter, like... Yeah, like everyone is in a race to see who is the saddest at all times. It's weird. It's very. I don't think it's healthy. Like it's it's good for like I think political things, and it's good for to like stay up on mm-hmm. on top of what's going on and, and social change and all that. But it is odd. Like it's like self flagellation all day, and I think it's an odd. It's an odd like mood to be in at all times. Yeah, I don't know if like what the solution is because yeah, I don't want to be ignorant, but it is. Um, it's strange to just be constantly punishing yourself in a competition to like punish yourself more than other people. <laughs> yeah. No, I, yeah, I don't know what's right or wrong about that, but it's, it's a, definitely odd. It's a crazy new world, yeah. Uh, w- when you're doing the headlines, are you usually submitting the headlines or were you also, also like always writing the whole script with it? You uh, they had some staff writers there, so mm-hmm. like the real writer, like you know, the real yeah. like actually talented people at the Onion, <laughs> not me. I would just like throw out a couple words. Uh, you would write the headline and since it's a video you would write like the you know like a paragraph describing the tone of it what would happen you know like the flow of it all excuse me and then um they would have directors and writers over there like i mean chris kelly uh used to be kind of the who's like head writer of snl like he used to be sort of like the uh uh he was the head writer over there for a bit he was a director as well dan merck uh who i actually work with right now it's crazy Mm -hmm. like uh, he would be over there carol kolb who was just one of the funniest people i've ever like witnessed uh she was the head writer so like they they would like their bullpen their writing room over there would kind of like crank out the actual scripts you would just provide like the headline and then like you know like the bulk you know like the the the, the chunk of the idea it's really interesting so like, when you would see the video you'd be like oh they they did like a really good job with that yeah. oh yeah <laughs> like, i mean i i didn't write much of that paul mccartney i mean yeah. i wrote that you know i wrote the idea and then like a couple beats but like yeah they they like you know they, they wrote it out so it's it's like someone's adapting your idea but those people are way smarter than you <laughs> so you you feel fine about it uh, were there any like big differences when you're writing for the TV show rather than the website? No, it was about the same. Like mm-hmm. the, the, they same process. Like they they streamlined that, and, and it was it was very much like a side job. So you would just do it like once a week, and, and you you know feel good if you sold something. Uh, yeah. But it was yeah. I mean, it was basically the same process. Like send in like four. I think maybe it's like forty or thirty. I don't know. But like it was maybe a bit harder, but it was about the same. Mm-hmm. But did you get a, a an upgrade on the pay? 
A little bit, but not really. <laughs> I, actually, I actually think that was probably a source of contention, like the WGA probably, because yeah. like, I was not in the guild. All the all of our, like lower people were not in the guild, and we got like I think two hundred bucks a week, like which is which was great when you're in college. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure, yeah. yeah, but, yeah. Like, that's yeah. I don't. I think there might have been some issues there <laughs> that I did not know about. Yeah. Uh, so you you've also written like a bunch of comics for Marvel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How, how did how did that come about? That uh, again, like I I um, have had a lot of lucky breaks I do not deserve. Uh, so at Kimmel, um, great job. I, I made amazing friends over there. I think everyone who works there would say like the worst part of the job is writing uh, the commercials. <laughs> like there's something called integrations, which is a weird term. I don't know why we use that. I guess we integrate the commercial into the show. I guess mm-hmm. that's what, yeah. So you're doing like you know product placement. Right. Like, every show does it. Like it's a you know it's a, it's a necessity of TV. But like. No one wants to do it. You're always trying to get out of it. But then one day I saw that, uh, you know, you're, you're writing stuff for like Clorox or like Zizol, like, you know, like uh, uh, flu drugs, like, we, you know, weird stuff. You have Arby's, whatever. But one day I saw that the client was Marvel and I'm a lifelong comic book fan. I'm a very lonely person. <laughs> so like that was my, uh, my lifeline growing up. And I just jumped on that. I like volunteered. Like, oh, I'll write that. I'll do. I'll, I'll write for Marvel, sure. And I saw like the executives who were coming in. And usually, you know, they're just like advertising people or brand executives. You have no idea who they are. I recognized a few of those guys from growing up and reading comics. Like one was Joe Quesada, who was an artist in the '90s, like a really like superstar artist. And he kind of got into the production side of things and like the executive side of things. And I was like, oh man, like I love Marvel. I know I love Joe Quesada. <laughs> and so like I just kind of like talk i probably bothered him on set you know? uh but i mean i was just a, such a huge marvel fan and and honestly i brought up the wes anderson spider-man thing because like that got me my job at oh, right, yeah. about spider-man you know like and he was a super nice guy um you know we worked on the the, the commercial together and all that what was um, the commercial for i mean it was just for marvel like i think they were doing a uh it wasn't for their movies it was for their comics it was called marvel now which was like a you know, every couple of years, Marvel or DC will kind of rebrand themselves a bit or get like, because comic books are like so complicated, the yeah. histories and the timelines. Like, I'm a, I, I love X Men. It would be hard to explain like anything that happened in the 80s. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> so many deaths and resurrections and like firebirds from space and all that. It's like Marvel, because their movies are so, so successful, we're going to like, okay, let's like make it a bit more like reader friendly and like streamline it a bit. And they just kind of came on to do like, you know, a commercial about that. Um, I see. But I talked to Joe, and I'm like, "Hey, if there's any anything you guys ever, if you need like a short story or whatever," and like, and he was very nice. He connected me with a few editors there, um, but it took like two years. It same thing with like Kimmel or whatever. You just have to kind of email him every like eight months, six months, like show, show him what you're doing, and like you know you you grab a, a dinner if you're in town or whatever. Like you know you just kind of be friendly and be present. Um, but eventually they let me write like a, a short story, like a 10-pager with Iron Man and, and the little uh, alien X-Men character that I really liked. Uh, and then I got to do like um, – I got to do like a short story about Cyclops, who is my favorite character. <laughs> Everyone hates Cyclops, but I love him. Uh, and I think that, that kind of led to something else. And, I, you know, you just kind of – it's the same way with comedy. You know, you get a show here. You get an idea in over here and it just kind of builds up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I've been able to do – like I got to write Spider-Man, which is like a strange, like emotional experience yeah. for me, and X-Men again. Like I think I, I like wept. <laughs> I forgot. Like <laughs> I was like very moved when I got to see my own X-Men comic in a in a store. I did not expect that. <laughs> wow. I uh, and then yeah, I got to do like Groot, and I just finished a, a Nova series, which was really fun. Uh, hopefully, I get to do more. It's a fun little like side job to have. Yeah, it's great. Um... So it seems like a, like a constant theme is that you like always follow up with these people. I think I think that's a good thing to yeah. do. Like I hate it. I'm a very nervous person. Like, Me too. I, yeah. I, I'm, I, I, I'm, I think <laughs> the one thing I try to remember is just like those people. If they're good people, if they're people you respect, and if they seem to be decent people, like they were in your place at one point, and they respect you. Know, don't be a bother. Don't try to get something from them. Don't try to like you know like lie to them or exploit them or whatever but like be present and be yourself and be earnest and i think that goes a long way like ambition is good people like ambition mm, yeah like that that's a good thing um just don't be like a dick um and i always i, I think I, I felt a lot better about that 
when um, I, I remember when I was just starting out and I was really like demoralized. I don't know what was going to happen. It was when I was homeless, basically, like yeah. staying like with my friends and all that. And like I had no money and my parents wanted me to kind of move, move back home. You know, I couldn't really support myself that well. And like I don't come from like, you know, my, you know, they, they weren't able to support me. I didn't want to ask them to support me because I didn't want to do that. And like, you know, and so but it's a very stressful time where it's like, Oh man, like this onion money is not going to, I can't afford like an apartment. Like, and you know, you make like little like ad share money from your YouTube videos, but like that's $80 a month. You know, so it was a kind of a tricky time. And I remember I emailed, um, Ben Schwartz. Uh, I never, I never met him before. I just thought he was super funny. And I saw him give an interview somewhere on like Huffington post or whatever. And, and I emailed him and I just asked him for advice. And he was, so nice like it, I, I I, you know I did not know this guy he didn't know me I just sent that Wes Anderson video and said I'm just starting out like I'm 20 years old like what should I be doing and he just sent me a like a very nice email and a very kind thing and I will never forget that I thought it was just such a kind thing and like he you know he's a very busy guy I'm sure he gets those emails all the time and he just I, I, I remember being so touched by that and so inspired and um it was a very like emotional like I, I always talk about my emotions. So I was on Kimmel for like six years, and one night Ben Schwartz was like the second guest that night, and I I didn't have a sketch of them or anything like that. But and you're not really you know like you, you shouldn't bother people on those types of shows. You know they're big celebrities are coming through. But like I went down there and I just knocked on the door and I uh, I just like got a chance to thank him and say like I don't know if you remember this and like you know I uh, and I don't think he did at first when I mentioned the Wes Anderson thing the video and he's like oh yeah and like it was such a nice like small moment i got to thank him in person for like helping me out and um wow so i always try to like now occasionally i'm on the other side of that you know i'll get emails from people or whatever and like i always try to do that because i i I will never forget how nice he was for doing that wow that's awesome yeah wow uh but yeah i think just stay like stay in contact with people be present always have a couple new things to show for yourself a new script or short film or whatever like people like the energy and and um don't be annoying but like you know people like to get people like to hear from people Mm. i think uh so what's the process of writing a comic like it's a it's a lot like writing a script and i think Mm -hmm. it's actually made me a better comedy writer oh interesting Uh, yeah it's it's crazy like i'm still i'm still very much new to the comic book writing game but like you're just writing storyboards for the artist basically um you have to be very economical. You have to make very direct choices. You've got to have, you know, three to five things happen on a page. You kind of direct the action or maybe you collaborate with the artist because he might have a better – I mean he definitely – he or she has a definite better like visual sense than you do. So like you can either write the emotion of the scene or you can write the direct action. It kind of depends what your relationship with the artist is. Um, I, I try to lean on them a little more because they're, you know, such gifted, like, you know, visual stylists and I am not. But yeah, you, you, it makes you make clear, defined choices every page. At the bottom of every page, you've got to have a reason to turn that page, like a little mini cliffhanger. Uh, and it, I actually thought, it, 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 I realized it has made me a better, like, writer on the page as well for comedy. Because, like, yeah, you got to have, like, don't overcomplicate things. you got to have, like, two to three things happen on a page maybe four jokes or what you know depending on your pace and like at the bottom of the page there should be a reason to turn the other page <laughs> like, yeah. it's uh it's been a fun like um genre branch out for me and i really like it and i also get to write like i'm working on like indie comics as well right now and i it's just fun to like branch out from comedy and just like oh like what's like a sad sci-fi comic i can write that's maybe not that good but i kind of enjoy it yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. like it, it's fun to be in that stage as well like it, i like because I guess like my history background or whatever, like I I, lo- I love comedy. It's my main career and my you know it's all I ever want to do. But I like having like side things to work on as well. I think that's fun and it kind of adds flavor to your work. Hmm. Do, do you uh, do you try to like put a lot of humor into the, the comic books or it's kind of a yeah, secondary thing? I um, it's it's not the primary focus because it's not like you know like a piece of comedy. But yeah, like I mean, if you're writing Spider Man, yeah, like, that's true. He, that is outside of the Simpsons VHS that I mentioned. Like my first introduction to comedy would have been Spider Man in that old cartoon or the old comic books. Like so much. I remember I, when I first got my Kimmel job, I was so nervous because I'd never written like monologue jokes before, and so I remember thinking like, okay, like 
where do I know like funny one-liners from like shit like Spider-Man <laughs> like and I would like almost go into like a Peter Parker voice and like he's in the comics at least he's always making like corny or sometimes very funny jokes and like he's a great comedic character that I don't think is utilized enough yeah um the, the newest movie did a pretty good job of I was that. gonna like, say yeah I thought they they finally got like his comedic timing down in yeah. a way that I was like very charmed by <laughs> Um, but yeah, like, I mean, so you, punch, you can punch a lot of comedy, like a Spider-Man comic. I did a Groot comic that you can do a lot there. Nova, I, I tried to do a fair amount, but also Nova. I just wanted to do like a classic, like old school Marvel adventure comic. Um, so there's room for it, but like you, it's also like just pure story structure. Like you're writing like a Pixar movie or you're writing like, um, I mean, honestly, just a, that Marvel is the template for me. Like you're just writing like a cool Marvel comic. And there's going to be a lot of natural humor in there, but it shouldn't, like, drive everything. Because mm. you're, you're telling, like, a cool story for, like, lonely 12-year-olds, you know? Like, <laughs> it can be, I mean, make it funny and make it exciting, but, like, make it everything. Yeah, yeah. Well, what are some uh, stories you like to do next for Marvel? For Marvel? Or just in general, I guess. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, for comics or comics? Comic, comics, oh, yeah. Oh, comics, yeah. Uh, I would kill to do, like, a... A small X-Men team book. That is my... I mean, it's... I'm such a... I'm... I'm uh, uh, I love X-Men more than anything, probably. Like, it's in my heart of hearts. If you ask me, like, what do I love? I'm like, I love X-Men. I would love to do, like, a little, like, uh, allegorical X-Men story. And just writing, like, a sad Magneto would be my favorite thing. Uh, other comics, I would love to do, a, like, an ongoing Spider-Man. I think he's such a fun, inspiring character for everybody. He's great. I would love to do Superman one day. Mm. I think Superman gets a bad rap for being boring and all that. I think he is the coolest. Like I, yeah. I think he's like he's a he's he's our closest thing to like a mythological character in our society. Yeah. And he's, he's awesome. Um, and I would love to, to do a version of that. Um, yeah, and then like indie comics. I just want to do like my own original stories. Like if I could do one original comic a year. On top of the TV or the comedy work, like I think that's a good goal to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm working on a few right now. We'll see if they come to fruition or not. But yeah, I don't know. Like I, I think comics. It actually is like a fun exercise for expanding your story structure. I think I think it is like a, it's actually been very helpful. Yeah. So I would love to keep doing it. Is pitching like a comic book to somebody the same as pitching like a television show? No. Oh no. man, I just finished. Oh man, this is depressing. <laughs> I just pitched my first TV show, and I just found out that like it did not sell. Uh, and like it, but you know, I, I got time. It was my, you know, it's your first yeah. try. But like, it was it was a bummer because I worked like years on that thing. It was it was tough. Um, uh, no TV shows like you got to be in a room, and you are like you got to have it down to like a tight fifteen minute thing. You got to take questions. You got to like answer. You got to know everything about it. And be super confident, <laughs> which I am not. Uh, and then you gotta just shop it around. It feels like you're an old school like vacuum salesman or something. You're, yeah. just, you're just going to like HBO and Amazon and Netflix and ABC. You know, you're just going around town. It feels very weird. Uh, comic book pitching. I mean, that I, I, I just you have a relationship with the editors and they'll say, mm-hmm. hey, like, do you have an idea for this? We have an opening over here. And then you just write, you know, like a five to seven page pitch document. You just, you just, you're not doing much over the phone. You know, you're, you're just sending them like, you know, it's very like transactional. Mm-hmm. And then if they want it, they'll expand on it. If not, you know, it's, yeah, pitching a TV show is a very, like, that's like a physical enterprise. Yeah. Did, did you like, what did you learn that was like surprising about pitching a TV show? Oh man, I'm still doing like damage control. I, <laughs> I'm picking up the pieces, man. I learned, um... What did I don't know what I learned. I mean, it's just a fun process. I think you just got to make it fun and exciting and give a reason why people would watch every week. I mean, clearly I didn't do a good job. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know, but I did love it. And like you just I think I'm just going to keep doing it as much as I can because it was like it was a tr- it was an exhilarating experience. I loved it. I loved meeting people and trying to connect over an idea and stuff. And it's hard when you like you know, you'll do like 3 of those in a day. And one goes really well, and it's like, oh, this is awesome. Oh, I'm a genius. And then you go to the next one, and they're just like blank face, and you're in your head, and you're like 
three minutes into the pitch, like, oh man, oh, man. I got like seventeen minutes to go in this. This is not. This, those were my best jokes. Like, this is not working. <laughs> um, so yeah, like I don't know what I've learned. I think just be. I mean, again, be present, be energetic, make it seem like it's a great idea that everyone would want to watch. Like, I'm not that skilled at. I work with a writer. Her name is Heather Ann Campbell. Oh yeah, she is amazing. I mean, she mm-hmm. she. I'm learning. I'm just awed by her talent and she has pitched a ton and like I'm gonna she she has memorized the whole thing she says treat it like a play and you were the you were doing like a one woman show you're a, a one person show and only you have the information and make it as like exclusive and, and like cool as possible oh interesting she yeah I mean she she's you should have her on she's a genius <laughs> um, but uh, uh, <laughs> I'm gonna I wish I had met Heather before I pitched <laughs> Uh, okay, so you worked on Kimmel for a while. That long time. That was the main job, yeah. Uh, and you, So you kind of got their attention from uh, the Wes Anderson Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah. That's funny because uh, former guest Jack Allison, who we were talking yeah. about before, he also got hired off a video, I think, off of... Um, yeah, Kimmel, I think, I, I don't know if I was the first one in that process, but he found, he found a lot of people from... Uh, yeah, like from, from Twitter, like a guy named Bridger Weiniger. Do you know him? I uh, know, I know. He is maybe the funniest person I, I know oh, yeah. on earth. Like he, I, I shared an office with him for a couple of years. He is he was just a has the most delightful voice on Twitter. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, him and then Jack made fun of your die stuff. Uh, there's a writer, uh, a great friend of mine. She's just such a brilliant writer. Her name is Bess Kalb. She uh, kind of big big on Twitter as well. So like. Now there, it seems like there's a lot of like internet avenues, to, and it's. I feel like people don't get hired from their packets as much now. Interesting. It, it's inter- I mean, we still do. We still hire like people from packets that we read and all that. But like, I feel Jimmy likes to like hunt his own food a little bit with writers, and in a way that's cool. Like, I think he yeah. just he's looking for people that can add a lot to, in his voice, or he likes to be a fan of someone and he finds them. Uh, so yeah, Jack got hired that way, and he was he's such a tremendous like benefit to the show. <laughs> uh. When you, you you did submit a packet yeah. eventually, right? What, yeah. what, what, what did that packet consist of again? A late night packet. They vary show by show. Yeah. Um, but usually it'll be like you know two pages of topical monologue jokes followed by you know two pages of um, uh, they would call them like desk bits or field pieces or whatever. Camel, we don't really do desk bits, but like you know some any any por- portion of like either sketch or man on the street or whatever. I'm more of a sketch guy, so I pitched a lot of sketches things like that. But you know like live or pre-taped portions that aren't jokes mm. uh, so like you know anywhere from like a two to five page document yeah uh, what was a typical day at Kimmel like for you typical day uh, we start at like seven it's like a pretty early yeah. day uh, you gotta be writing jokes by seven they're due by nine you get in you do you know the outline comes out if you have a sketch or a bit that day you're just kind of on that if not you're writing jokes all day uh, you're doing like three to four rounds of jokes. You're doing clip jokes. We do a lot of like visual clips and things like that. You're just kind of like on call all day and you're in the office and you're just writing stuff as quick as possible. It really is like a – it's like you're just cooking up a, a meal for that night. you know. Like, And it's got to be done by 5 o'clock and it's got to be out and then it's done and then it's on the internet or maybe – you know, people forget about it, and you make a new one the next day. <laughs> like it is, it's a conveyor belt of comedy. Like it, it's really, um, it was, it, it was an amazing process. Pretty grueling, though. Yeah, I remember Jack was talking about that. It sounds insane. <laughs> it really like those shows. Uh, now that I'm away from it, I'm like, man, that was that was six years. That was like a crazy time. Yeah. But I really did love it, and I think the onion, um, the onion training helped a lot there. Interesting. You, you just like you you got to get. I'm I'm a. I doubt everything I write. I hate everything I write. But at a certain point, when it's your job and you have a deadline, it's like, okay, well, I just got to you know, I got to write like ten jokes, you know, and, like, and you just burn through it. And I think that was a useful skill to learn at the Onion because it, it helped me in the in the late night world. Mm. What What do you think makes a good monologue joke? Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, like, you know, it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think with Jimmy, I always I, what I love about uh, Kimmel is that he is much more casual than the other hosts. Like, I think everyone kind of knows you i mean i think the hosts are unique now to where they all have very unique voices like seth myers and stephen colbert are very like tight and political and uh uh very well crafted and you know clearly like that that is a joke like that is a couplet and that's like a complete thought 
uh, Kimmel, what I love about that is like still complete thoughts, still jokes, but in more of like a paragraph form. He would like he would do like three to four jokes on a topic. He would meander a little bit. He would come back to something. Like I really liked that process because mm. it felt like you were writing your funny friend. Like it felt like you were writing. I always tried to write him like he was your friend at the bar who had had like a drink or two, and he was just talking about a topic or something. Oh, and I always thought like um, he yeah he's so calm and he's so comfortable and casual on camera and uh, I am not and I always thought that I mean I just tried to learn from him, him as much as possible he makes people feel comfortable when he enters a room uh, when he's on you know and I think that's mm. a very that's a very unique skill mm. um, but what makes a good joke sorry I didn't even answer that um, like a point of view you know like you gotta um, there's this old Graham Chapman quote that I've just forgotten over the years but you've just gotta have like you know an observation that other people didn't think of but then when you say it of course it's like oh that's the most obvious thing i should have thought of that um just try to be as specific and observant as you can be and try to think of it yeah like the, what's the truest thing you can say that i think that's always like that's what i go for yeah um, same, same thing you said about the onion yeah and like yeah. i'm not you know i'm not a truth to power speaker at all <laughs> like I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a weak man but uh like i think that's a good like um guideline to have if you're doing the satire or whatever like what's the truest thing you can say and then step back and then like you know take steps and build it up from there but uh that's always a good thing to aim for did you uh, have any favorite monologue jokes that got on air oh man jokes i was more of a sketch yeah guy, i guess like but i did i did a fair amount of jokes i remember um i just did oh man like they all bleed together you know you write hundreds over the years uh I had one about General Zod from Superman 2. <laughs> like, I think it was about, like, in the Mitt Romney elections, like, 2012. And it's like, I don't know, like, he, I had to figure out what the joke even was. But it was basically saying, like, do we really want, like, Mitt Romney to be the president when the aliens invade? Like, he's <laughs> such a piece of stock footage or whatever. I can't remember the jokes. They, like, bleed together. My, my parents would ask who's on the show that night. And you just your brain just goes to mush. I could not even remember like what happened that night. Oh wow! <laughs> like, you're just tr- it's like the newspaper. You just churn it out every single day. Oh man, I, I'm blank and I'm sorry. I don't remember That's any right. like jokes. I, sketches though, I can remember all my sketches. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as a, as a sketch guy, yeah. How would you balance doing, uh, say, topical stuff versus like evergreen stuff? You know, I kind of leaned on the evergreen stuff a bit mm-hmm. more because like. The shelf life of topical jokes, especially now with politics, like there's just a new nightmare every day. It's good, but it's like a quick hit of heroin and then it's gone. Like I tried to do like sketches with the guests or something that like would maybe, you know, stick around for a bit. Like I did this thing with like Harrison Ford. I had like this three part like saga like with him and Chewbacca. Like he like he and like Chewbacca had like a falling out. We did like a three part thing. <laughs> over the years and I just thought it was it was so much fun oh you did like like three different shows he he came on like three times over the years and so like it would be like a recurring thing where like Chewbacca would show up and he's like what are you doing here you son of a bitch (laughs) and like they would have like this you know like ongoing feud and like I don't know like I would just like to do like random things or like if there was like a say like a big movie coming out we did like a Batman Jack and I wrote like a Batman Superman sketch which was goofy and fun and like that Um, I don't know I I feel like I'm just rambling, but, like, I think it's fun to do something that's just standalone. Like, the less you have to know about something going into a sketch, the better. It it should just stand on its own, you know? Like, mm. I just made it, like, there's a sketch with, like, Kristen Wiig made a lot of indie movies, and so we just made the most indie movie called, like, Crying in a Sweater, and it was just her <laughs> for a, a minute and a half crying in hallways wearing sweaters. <laughs> I just loved, like, how stupid it was. Like, it wasn't really about anything. It was just, like, making fun of over dramatic indie movies you know like I, I I think the less you have to tee up the better it should just be something that someone can watch in two minutes and it can be funny or you know clever or whatever but like just yeah people don't need to have like an encyclopedia article about it like just yeah set it up here's a funny thing there you go so, so would a lot of your ideas come from like the guests like you'd say oh, okay the guest today yeah, is this guy yeah, and I, I want to do this I think that was a niche I was able to kind of carve out to where like I loved I think with the onion or whatever like you would kind of look at topics and then try to break it down and I loved like what Conan or what Jimmy did in the uh, in, in his show before I was there like they did a lot of good like actor driven sketch or like you know celebrity guest driven sketch Colbert had obviously done so much great stuff with that as well 
um, in, in, in various ways. And yeah, I think that was kind of a niche I like to carve out because it was really hard to get like an original kind of maybe heightened like premise sketch on the air if, if it was just a sketch. But if you had like a celebrity attached to it, I think you could kind of like swallow it a bit better. <laughs> so like I would always pitch like time travel sketches or like all these weird things and they never get approved. But if you would like have a celebrity attached to it, like Andy Samberg travels back through time or something, they would, then it would at least like have a chance to get through. <laughs> so I found that as like a way to kind of maybe get the weirder ideas like into, into, the, into the show. Uh, what kind of sketches would you say would that you would like work on Kimmel, but that wouldn't necessarily be on other shows? Um, you know, we could get a little meaner. Like I did one. Yeah. I did want. We. I, I would say we could go a little meaner than like maybe the Tonight Show, or a bit more obscure than like. I don't know. Like, yeah, it's a hard niche. Like, I, I guess mean is the term. Like we would do. Like <laughs> I did a sketch where Captain America, like Chris Evans, was also doing. Like you know, he wanted to go for like an Oscar bait role. But, like, all the good sort of, like, subjects are taken. Like, you know, like, George Washington has had movies made. Any sort of historical... Like, the like the A-listers have kind of had their movies already. He's like, so I just need to, like, find my own guy. You know, I need to, like, find my own subject. He's like... And it turns out he's been, like, stalking this guy for, like, weeks. Like, just a random guy. <laughs> and he's been like, I've been just, like, following this guy. I know how he lives. I know how he eats, how he sleeps. And, like... I think it's going to be a great movie. And, like, the guy's in the audience, and he did not know that Chris Evans was stalking him for a month. <laughs> and so, like, we made, we made Chris Evans into, like, this weird stalker freak who's, <laughs> like, hiding in this guy's house, like, recording his, all of his movements to make a movie about him against the guy's will. And I'm like, oh, I don't think we would do that at, like, another, like, late-night show. Make Chris <laughs> Evans out to be, like, this weirdo creep. That was, like, he made the guy out to be such a loser in the trailer that we showed. And that was just a fun thing. And then we, we did one about, like, I gave a lifetime achievement award to the guy who got eaten off the toilet in Jurassic Park <laughs> and okay. I'm like I don't think any other show would do a stupid weird thing like that <laughs> I don't know like it's hard to answer but like I'm just so glad Jimmy was down for like weird you know dumb ideas like that yeah and through doing Kimmel you got to work on uh, the White House Correspondence Dinner yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what was that like that was that was just a ton of work like none, yeah. of, us, none of us on the staff like the lower level staff went to the you know went to white to the mm -hmm. White House but like it was just cool to see Jimmy on a stage like that, you know? You got to, like, talk directly to the president. You got to make jokes. You just churn out a ton. You know, you write, like, 40, 50 jokes over the course of, you know, a month or something. Um, that was great. That was just a one-time thing. Like, we got to do so many, like, cool gigs like that. Like, I mean, yeah, White House Correspondence Center. We got to do the Emmys twice. We got to do the Oscars, which is just, a, like, a dream come true. Mm -hmm. Like, I, that's those late night shows. Like they're 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 a lot of work, but they they they're so much fun when it's when it's clicking like that. Were those all kind of uh, similar experiences? Like were they all? They're all. I mean, like yeah. They, at a certain point, you're putting on like a TV show, so like your experience in late night kind of kind of carries over wherever you go. Uh, it's just a bigger stage. Like you know, the Oscars is like the biggest possible like live event outside of the Super Bowl. You know, so yeah. like, you just got to be on your game, and you're wearing a tuxedo instead of like you know. Of the National Park T-shirt, <laughs> uh, but yeah, they all. They, I mean, it's basically it, as, as lofty as things can get, or as nervous as things get. You're just writing jokes, and it's they're just bigger cameras. You know, like it, you just have to kind of like cement yourself in that way. Uh, what What do you uh, What do you think? Or sorry, did you, did you write jokes for just Kimmel, or was it for like Obama? Yeah, you would do. That was what was fun about the show. You could do a lot of different voices because you would. Yeah, you would write for. Um, you know, if you're doing like a sketch with a guest, or like we did all these big like Oscar show bits like uh, over the years, you would just write for everybody. Like yeah. you got to be able to write for like Ellen DeGeneres and Oprah Winfrey, and then Jeff Bridges and Matt Damon, and like you know whoever is playing James Bond this time, or like you know, like it, it really did let you really like cast a wide net as far as character writing. And you're writing for them, but maybe they're playing a character as well. So it's got to sound like a character that Christoph Waltz could play. Like it really is like a great. Uh, it it was a great experience. It really just like stretching your limits a bit. Uh, what what do you think is like the role of late night television for like political satire? Because it's been kind of you know. I go back and forth on this actually. <laughs> like it is obviously. I mean, this is the most insane time in in recent political history. Uh, Late night TV can really attack it night after night in a way that's important, I think. But then sometimes I wonder if, like, we're also part of the problem. Like, it's almost just become this maudlin routine of, like, we were mentioning this earlier. Like, you wake up, Trump has done something insane, 
we all have to be sad about it on Twitter. We all like rightfully so get upset and we rightfully like call our senators and all that. Then the late night people make fun of it that night. Then we all go to sleep. We wake up. There's a new thing. We get upset. We call our reps like Trump responds like a child. Late night makes fun of it. We go to sleep. It's almost become like this weird like like Sisyphus <laughs> scenario yeah. where we're like, I'm not sure. Like, I don't know. I mean, I, I have no answers to anything, but it's yeah. like, I know like we're, we should be doing this, but like, is there another approach? Is there a way to like break this cycle that we're in? <laughs> like, it's just, it's just a madhouse right now. And I did that for years, you know? And, um, I don't know if we made a, a change or not. Yeah. <laughs> it, or are we just like feeding the beast? Like Trump obviously gets off on attention. So it's like, mm-hmm. man, are we just like, in a way making him stronger because we're just promoting this his stupid things more or are we doing like a necessary civic duty by you know mocking power i don't i really don't know i hope it's the latter and it's I, weird too because like if like jimmy fallon got really criticized for kind sure, of being yeah. apolitical mostly yeah yeah exactly and so there's really i don't know because i don't know what you want from anybody i don't know what the answer is yeah, yeah. and like well he was apolitical but then he, you know, he must his hair yeah, yeah and like you know i i, I, I don't I have friends at most of these shows. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know the ins and the outs, but like that was, you know, a pretty bad move, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, he kind of coddled the guy who was who has said such poisonous, terrible things and like corrupted the heart of America. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like I mean, I think yeah, you got to lean on the side of your morals. You got to lean on the side of what's right and what you like. It it was a tremendous thing. I, I that is the one thing I think I will miss about late night to where like. If something happens in the world, you have an opportunity to say something about it that day. That is that is such a cool feeling. Um, and like you get to have jokes like the day after the election, or you get to have jokes about you know the travel ban that maybe you can break through to someone. Maybe that's maybe that's too you know arrogant on my part. But like it was nice to make stuff that maybe would maybe break through to someone because yeah, you, you can say truer stuff if you're telling jokes. What was it like writing jokes the day after the election? Man, uh, it was really depressing. Yeah. I mean, you're just shell-shocked. And then I guess I, I, I've been trying to do some soul-searching because, yeah, I come from like a small town. I come from a I'm, – I'm from California, but it's a very red part of California. And so like there are things that like I do f- – I don't like it when we try to put all Trump voters in one box. Like – there are, there's a lot of obviously horrific stuff that we cannot excuse, and they, like we, you know, the, the the underbelly of America has like showed itself. But then there's just a lot of people who like, you know, my dad lost his job in like 2010 or so and never really got it back, you know, yeah. and like, and then there comes a guy who says, "I'm going to get your jobs back." So like, you know, like there there is, I think it's easy for us to dismiss all of them in one fell swoop. And it's easy for us to make fun of them all and, and all of this. And like, and it's easy for us to feel great about ourselves. Like we have no problems to address or no like issues of economic inequality or, you know, like, it, it, any of that stuff. Like I'm not, I'm not a smart person. I don't know what the answers <laughs> are, but like I try to have some sympathy uh, and maybe try to like, I don't know. I, I guess I'm just always trying to reach out to my dad. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to save my dad from Trump, but it's not working. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, but also at the same time, I don't want to be deferential to those people because, man, I'm very upset. <laughs> What's happened? I'm I'm very I'm very sad about what America's become. Yeah. Uh, so on a different topic, mm-hmm. uh, what, what advice would you give to somebody who wanted to work in late night? <laughs> um, I would say, yeah, it's tricky. A lot of people are getting in with a lot of different ways now. Like my friend Bridger was just big on Twitter. Jack was making fun of your die stuff. I was making YouTube stuff. Uh, Best just submitted a packet, I believe. Like, um, I'd say try to work on your craft as much as possible. Make the advice I give everyone is like make a two minute short film or a sketch comedy video. Like that Wes Anderson video is like a minute forty. Make something that someone can watch in a small amount of time because I think it's fantastic. Like I obviously have a pilot or obviously have like a you know a packet ready to go, but. If people don't know who you are, they're probably not going to read your 38-page pilot, but they might watch your 90-second or your two-minute short film. I think that is that's the advice I would give people. Mm-hmm. Like, Have something of a calling card that says, this is what I do, this is my voice, this is my style. And if you like this, I have this pilot for you to read as well. Or I have this like, you know, late-night packets or you know whatever, yeah. uh, sketch packets. Um, 
So have the material ready to go, but have a very digestible form of it as well. Mm. Like have the have the have like the you know the actual professional material to back it up. Like have you know your spec or your pilot or your packets, but have like something that like an agent could see on their lunch break because their everyone's attention span is everywhere nowadays. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, but yeah, and then just yeah, like get on Twitter. I'm not a good. I'm not that funny on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> I'm more of I guess I am more of a sketch guy. But uh, like you, got, you got great people like Jess Dweck who got discovered. I think from Twitter. She's truly one of the best joke writers I've ever seen. Uh, I think Twitter is kind of a necessary evil for joke writers now. You got to just kind of churn that out. But don't make that your only thing because you've got to have like the actual material to back it up, like scripts and things like that. But yeah, just have that short, digestible thing you can show people. Yeah. Uh, so you've left Kimmel. Yeah, yeah. Was that like a difficult decision for you? That was tough, man. Yeah, yeah I'd been there six years. Uh, I just passed like the six-year mark. And uh, I was getting ready to pitch a show, which did not work out. <laughs> but then I, I had also like I, – I do love like the story side of comedy. Like, I, like I've said, I, I don't know if I'm strong as like a, a solid like joke writer or like monologue joke writer, especially compared to other people out there who are just like – monsters at it um i always liked but i like story i like storytelling i like characters i like like you know structure and things like that so i kind of wanted to give like the narrative thing a try and so i was writing a lot of pilots in my spare time and one of them um i had two kind of in the i had one that i was trying to sell and then i had one that was like a sample and so i had two different pilots and someone uh do you you know who simon rich is oh yeah yeah like he (laughs) read my sample and like it happened very fast and he just I, I got offered a job on like a you know, on his new show uh which is like a narrative show that we're working on right now which i, I drove over from mm-hmm. um and it's been crazy i've been there about a month and it's such a new thing and i love it and i get to work with like some dan Merck, who is an old onion staff guy from my very first job <laughs> i always looked up to him so much he's in the room an old like a uh, friend of mine from new york shirako dunlap is in the room like who is just they're both just the most amazing writers. Heather Ann Campbell, who is this like legend of comedy, she's so great. <laughs> she's in the room. So I'm just in, and there's these two, uh, three newer writers: Mitra Jahari, she wrote for the President Show, and like Gary Richardson and Lucas Gardner. Like they're all, I mean, I'm the worst one in the room by far. <laughs> like, they're they're all truly funny people, um, and, and so I, it's like a new challenge, and it's cool, and it's like I got to be on my game every day, and it's just, it's a no, it's a different muscle than late night. So we'll see. I could, I could crash and burn, but it's so far it's been like a nice transition. I think I miss late night a lot, and that was a very hard decision. But because yeah, I have so many friends there, and like Jimmy was just, I mean, he changed my life. Like he honestly, like out of anyone in my life, changed my life, and, and so that was a hard conversation. But he was, he was cool with it, and he was very nice. So. Yeah, it's been crazy, man. I just ran, <laughs> I just rambled for a bit, but it's been a crazy couple months. Yeah, so so is narrative kind of where you want to go from here on out? I, I think so. Yeah. Maybe I'd go back to late night. I don't, maybe it'd be nice to jump between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, late night is much steadier. You know, like those shows are on all yeah, year, yeah. basically. Whereas like now I'm, I'm, I think I'm out of a job in like November, October. <laughs> so I was like, oh man, I got to find like a new thing. Um, but I do like the story thing for now, and I think I'd like to see where this world takes me because mm-hmm. um, it's a bit more, a bit more lasting. Maybe like late night is it's a it's a quick like hit a heroin every night, and then like it's like oh I guess I have a couple sketches to show <laughs> over the years. But then like I'm interested in seeing how this show will turn out and seeing if it's something that lasts or whatever. Like I don't know, it's it just a new, it's a new thing, and I'm having a lot of fun so far, and I think it's, it hopefully will be super funny. Okay, so we're going to wrap up with you uh, giving your thoughts on something I wrote. Oh, sure. These were Onion headlines for a packet that was not accepted. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like, I wrote these, like, I think, like, two months ago, maybe? Okay, two yeah, months yeah, ago. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so I got three headlines. Okay. Uh, Jared Kushner's lack of experience somehow least terrifying thing happening right now. Oh, that's funny. I like that. Okay. Yeah, that's a good lead. Uh, report. Nation long overdue for another seven-season prestige television show. All right, all right. I can see that one. All right, sure, okay. sure. And then, uh, teenager asking Kate Upton to the prom, unaware that she was hoping he would. <laughs> that's actually pretty... I like that. Okay. I like the first one. I like the third one, I think, okay. the most. Those are good. Uh, can I can I read it real yeah. quick? It's at the bottom. Or, or, or do you want thoughts or what's the? Yeah, I guess uh, thoughts. I, and again, I'm I'm not an expert at anything. Um, I like the, you know I actually I like I think the Kushner one actually is pretty good pretty good legs to it because you can like add in like 
the paranoia and the fear that everyone's feeling. You really like yeah. go on like a rant and like a sort of, oh God, what is happening? What is, mm-hmm. This little shit is in charge of like Israel, Palestine. What are we going <laughs> to Like, I can see that being like a thing. The teenager asking kid up to the prom. That's, I think there's something there to where like, yeah, like, uh, like playing on his insane, selfish teenager fantasy. Like she was yeah. been waiting by the phone for this like 15 year old boy yeah. to ask her to probably, that, I mean, that's kind of fun. Like, um, let me see. Nation Lana Overdue for another seven prestige. Child. Maybe why is the nation Lana Overdue? Maybe like it's more. Maybe get to the emotion of that towards like okay. God. We just need something. It's like a distraction, right? Like yeah, we yeah. need. Oh, interesting. We, okay. Like we need something. It's like we don't want to address all of our deeply like divisive issues or our horrible yeah. issues like police brutality or like whatever's going income inequality like yeah. we just need we just need like a, another fucking madman we can just watch that yeah. like not talk to our dads about the election <laughs> like maybe maybe it, i think it's a very good thought maybe try to get like the emotion behind it like we need a yeah. distraction or we need something to like Lock out our important stuff. <laughs> yeah, maybe some like d- divided nation wishes madmen would just come back. Something like that. Yeah. Or like I think the prestige show, like something long and arduous. I see. Like yeah. uh, an HBO. Yeah, prestige is funny. Like, and I bet you could even have like in the piece of it if it's a written piece. Like I don't know, maybe something about. Uh, like the 80s uh, we do like some, like <laughs> yeah. you know, like they're they want a madman like something like madman yeah, yeah. but like not madman I don't know like maybe the fi- sure the 50s yeah shit <laughs> yeah. whatever like like a weird like it, it's grasping at straws just so we don't have to talk to our parents about why they voted for Trump mm-hmm. you know like, yeah. or we just so like our weird cop uncle on Facebook like we just I don't <laughs> Oh man, he's a monster. Oh man, he is putting out this Blue Lives Matter stuff. Like, <laughs> I don't know what to do. Like, like our own cowardice. Like, make it about our own. And like, TV is just there to like, like you know, my girlfriend is probably gonna break up with me. But if there's one more TV show we can watch together, <laughs> yeah. maybe she won't break up with me. Like, yeah. all that stuff can be seeded into the piece. But yeah, I think the thought behind that's pretty good. No, these are mm-hmm. good, man. Uh, keep submitting. Like, keep, <laughs> that, I, and I mean yeah, that. Yeah. Like, I have a friend of mine. Uh, his name is Alex. He was a, an onion guy with me in the beginning. He is the most hardworking guy, and he submitted like year after year to be on like a mod team at UCB. Always got rejected. He has such like like weird like bonkers ideas, and he finally got in after his like fifth try. Mm-hmm. And and I'm saying, I mean, this is gonna sound very trite for me, but like I, I've been trying to get into the, the New Yorker for years, mm-hmm. and a lot of my friends are in it. Like they're all you know, like it's, it's a pretty common like you know comedy writer thing. And it took me like three years, and it was hard. Uh, so like, don't be just dis- you know keep doing this yeah. stuff. Make make the failure a regular thing because it's very present. And like, it took me a long time to get the Marvel stuff. It took me a long time to get the New Yorker stuff. It took me. I mean, this new job, the Simon, the Simon Rich job, I'm so thankful for because it took me years. I was trying to get like narrative work for a. I wrote like eight pilots. Wow. And. I finally got like one that maybe got me a job, but like man, it 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 was it took a lot, and I had to like fire a manager because they just wouldn't send my stuff out, and like it's very hard, and so just keep like plugging away, and like make that just a regular thing, like make make the failure like part of your Wednesday because it's it's hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, th- th- those are good thoughts, and get to the <laughs> get to the emotion underneath it because the the onion is like raw emotion blanketed in objective truth and that's you know it, it's like it's a newspaper headline that's hiding some deep pain yeah i get that makes sense yeah there's good stuff there man no, yeah keep, keep doing that <laughs> uh thanks for me anything you want to plug no i mean uh uh i don't know if i should uh, there, there's a show i'm working on right now the simon rich show is called miracle workers that's gonna come out like next year yeah i mean i don't know if i should even talk about it or not uh, I got some comic stuff. Check that out. Watch Jimmy Kimmel Live. I love all those people there and want them to have jobs. So watch that. And uh, yeah, they, uh, threaten me on Twitter sometime. At, at Jeff Loveness. All right, great. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, man. This was fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of On Comedy Writing. I want to thank Nick Doss for supplying the sweet tunes, Zachary Glassman for giving us the awesome logo, and Bordock Audio for hosting us. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, and like and follow on Comedy Writing on Facebook and Twitter. See you next week!
been a Boardwalk Audio podcast. For more information and shows, visit BoardwalkAudio.com. Don't forget to rate and subscribe now.